Ooh, a ghost. <laughs> oh, hello. Hi, I'm Hannah. And I am Tiffany. And welcome to Witchy Weirdos. Well, welcome back because people are now listening. Yes, that's very valid. Oh my point. goodness. Crazy. Um, today, we're going to be talking about some cursed objects, which I'm very excited about. I know. It's so <laughs> creepy. I love it. So creepy. Um, Basically, yeah. So I've got a few. You've got a few, Hannah? Yep. We've okay. got some to share. Go for it. Just dive in. I'm so okay. excited. Let's start. Well, actually, I wanted to start before I go into my actual, like, proper researched cursed items mm-hmm. by talking about a cursed item that um, I, like, sort of experienced when I was younger. Ooh. And I tried to research this. I, besides, like, people writing about it a little bit in their own experiences online there isn't actually like a story behind it but I still thought I'd share it it's still quite creepy so there is a Victorian kind of it might even be older I think it might be Tudor um manor house that as a child um we went on a school trip to oh my god are you talking about Afton Court yes oh my god literally same we went to different schools okay continue Continue. yes so I'm sure you know this so (laughs) Ufton Court has a library and mm. it is a red library kind of room. It's quite creepy. And within that library room, they have a painting. And this painting is one of those paintings where no matter where you stand in the room, it will look like it's looking at you. <laughs> so that is creepy in itself. Yeah. And there are a lot of rumours around this. I think like each year would pass these rumours down in our school. And again, I'm sure it's the same for you mm. that this picture was haunted and that the lady in the picture haunted often caught and so there are a lot of creepy vibes a lot of like negative energy and the kind of school trip that we went on was you stayed in the house for a night so we all stayed over for a night and I just have such vivid memories of how terrifying this place was and again, I don't know if this is because of all the rumours that were around it. So before you even went, you were kind of terrified. But, like, there was some interesting energy in that oh place. Oh, my God. So oh, that is mad. I can't believe you stayed there, first off. That's insane. It's creepy. Yeah. Um, so when I went to Ufton Court, I, so I never came into contact with that picture and stuff, like, at all. It was, like, something my school completely vetoed. I didn't hear about it. But they took us around the whole of Ufton Court, and it was terrifying. It's like, a creepy place. There is something about that place that is just wrong. Like, there's, um, I remember, the one thing I remember is, like, a Pope hole. So I don't know if you remember this. Like, basically, like, um, there are holes cut into the ground with, like, these rickety old ladders that would go down to, like, these holes, basically. Um, And the Pope would hide. Oh, my God, I love that. Yeah, like, people would come um, and be like, go and kill the Pope, and the Pope would hide in these holes. And there was something about it. I remember looking down it and wanting to throw up it's yeah and just feeling wrong the whole place just felt wrong i can't believe you stayed there it's a very creepy place i think it's like the tudor history like yeah. that period of time is a very dark historical time yeah and so like yeah it was creepy oh you just brought back so many times yeah I, like, I didn't know i had everything's popping to mind <laughs> but yeah, yeah so i wanted to research it and there isn't actually like a official story out there 
But when you look at the reviews for people who've stayed there, have gone to weddings, who've gone on like ghost tours, people bring it up all the time that they've seen people walking around, that the picture just makes them feel ill or brings like these traumatic feelings. So yeah, I wanted to start off with that little little local tidbit for I you. I love it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> so um, do you want to go next or shall I carry on? I'm, I'm happy to go if you want. Okay, you hit us up with our first proper one. I'll hit you up with the first one I've got. Um, a few people might have heard of this. I know I definitely recognised it, but I hadn't like gone into detail when I looked at it before. But this is the Dibbuk box. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, before I go into like the actual detail of the box, um, which, have, like I said, I'm sure a few of you have heard before or at least recognise it, um, I want to talk about its name. Because basically in Jewish mythology, a Dibbuk itself, like not a Dibbuk box, just a Dibbuk, it's a malicious possessing spirit. So Ooh. it's supposed to be like a dislocated soul of someone that died. Um, I don't think the word demon doesn't mentioned anywhere. It's more just like a malicious spirit because it, it talks about it coming from a person. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, what, like, I think the idea of demons is like it, that spirit or that demonic presence was never human. It came straight from yeah, hell. Yeah, that's quite like um, a religious Christian yeah. thing, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. So, like, the idea that's kind of being said here is, like I said, that it is it is a spirit, so it was a person, but it is a very malicious spirit. Um, yeah, and it's so basically it supposedly leaves the host of the body when it's accomplished its goal, whatever that is, um, and sometimes that's after it's been helped, you know, whatever that malicious spirit wanted to happen, it basically possesses different people um, and, like, hops from host to host, and when it's done with what it wanted to accomplish, it will go to another host. It's like a parasite. Oh, that's so um, creepy. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really scary. Um, and a Dibbuk box, therefore, um, it's just like, it's a cursed like item. In this case, it was a box, but this could happen pretty much to any item. So um, this box itself is said to contain a malicious spirit um, and it haunts the owner of the box. And from some stories that I've read, people that just come into contact with Ooh. the box as well. Yeah. Um, so the specific Dibbuk box I'm going to talk about is the original one. Uh, this is the one that resulted in the actual phrase Dibbuk box. But now that's kind of like a, a wider term for like a haunted object that's like a box or something. You can see loads and loads of videos on YouTube of people finding like old oh, yeah. boxes that open up and they're called Dibbuk boxes. Um, yeah, so um, there are basically two versions of how I found that this like all started. The first is that in 2001, a guy named Kevin Manis purchased a wine cabinet that was auctioned on eBay. The second, and what seems to be kind of like Manus's retelling of events, is that he purchased the wine cabinet at an estate sale oh, yeah. in 2003. Um, and he basically ma- managed to gather a bunch of information on the box and he found out that it belonged to a survivor of the Holocaust in like German-occupied Poland. Um, and the name of the owner was Havala. Havala? Havala. I don't I'm not saying <laughs> that wrong. I'm sorry. Um, I'm just going to say Havala. Um, so he was told by Havala's relatives that she'd, put, she'd escaped to Spain and purchased the box there before she immigrated to the US. So Havala's granddaughter told Manis that the box had been bought in Spain after the Holocaust. And when he heard it was a family heirloom, he was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, please have it back. Like, I feel wrong that I've bought this if it's a family heirloom. Um, and his granddaughter insisted that he took it and said, we don't want it. <laughs> um, and she said, um, 
She told him that the box had been kept in her grandmother's sewing room and never been opened because a divot was said to live inside. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So she, he was like, you know, here, have the sailing back. I'm really sorry. She was like, nope. Absolutely <laughs> I'm <not>. good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so when he opened the box, he, um, he wrote down that basically it, it had two 1920s pennies in it, a lock of blonde hair Ugh. bound with a cord. Yeah. A lock of black slash brown hair bound with a cord, a small statue engraved with the Hebrew word shalom, so like hi, um, and a small golden wine goblet, one rosebud, and a single candle holder with four octopus shaped legs. So we've got like hair, we've got words saying hello. Uh, there's something yeah. very weird about that like there's something uncomfortable about the combination of all of those things that are in there um but basically the first thing he reported after getting the box was extreme night terrors oh my god um yeah so immediately that's what um like every single night he would just have night terrors after he had this box um he also reported a bunch of paranormal attacks and believed that um his mother suffered a stroke on the same day he gave her the box as a birthday present oh god yeah, on the 28th of October. Also, I just want to question his logic for a second there. He gets a creepy box that he's told <laughs> it possesses a demon. He's like, here you go, mum, have a birthday. Have a good day. Literally, no. <laughs> um, and so after that, every single owner of the Dibbuk's box reports smells of cat urine or, jazz, or jasmine okay. flowers. One or one of the other, you know. It's like when you have... Um, those jelly babies it's like one's <laughs> pineapple and one's bogeys um <laughs> but yeah so cat urine or jasmine flowers and n- those nightmares but specifically they all involve an old hag is what it says Ooh. all of the nightmares from all the different people um so the last person who auctioned off the box was losef nietzsky um, and that was a Missouri student at Truman State University. And he claimed that the box caused lights to burn out in his house and his hair to fall Oh, my out. God. Yeah. Um, then Jason Haxton, the director of the Museum of Osteopathic Medicine. Okay. I don't know what that is. Yeah. He claimed that he subsequently developed strange health problems, including hives, coughing up blood and head to toe welts. Oh, my God. That's great. Yeah. Um, so what he did was he consulted with rabbis um, and he tried to figure out a way to seal the box again so that like nothing could come out of it, no one could be cursed or anything could happen. Um, and this was apparently successful. Uh, I'm going to use the word apparently mm-hmm. here, you know, quite strongly. Um, and he took the freshly sealed box to a secret location um, that he didn't reveal. And he recently donated the box itself to Zach Bagans' museum. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Um so, you know, uh, Ghost Adventures, it's like a US TV mm. show uh, that Zach Bagans is the host of, and he has a museum called the Haunted Museum, and it holds so many of the world's most haunted objects. We should definitely go. Oh, my God, go. yes. <laughs> 100%. But it's currently sitting in that museum. And like I said before, though, <laughs> people are said to feel the effects of the box, even if they're just in contact with it. And a very famous account of this that's quite recent is actually post I love that. <laughs> Yeah. So if you don't know much about Post Malone, um, he's very into paranormal things, extraterrestrial things. He's a very open minded guy. Um, And he's a very great guy as well, like as a person. Definitely like watch some podcasts that he's in. He's a very cool guy. I know he's having a moment at the minute, but he's a very, very down to earth, sweet guy. Um, 
but basically he went on ghost adventures having a great time um and that all included a trip to the museum where he was near the box and he was near the box and he was looking at it and stuff and this is when he says that like a curse was released and like that curse basically followed him because after after that visit his plane tires blew out and nearly died in a plane accident. Oh my God. Um, his Rolls Royce was in an accident, also nearly died. And his former home, that he's obviously moved out of now, was just ransacked, like completely robbed. Um, and obviously all of that could be a coincidence, but he fully believed, like, no, it was the box. He believed, so, he believed it so much that he later went back to try and reverse the curse um, because that's how much he really believed. Oh, that's it was, scary. It was the box's fault. Um, I don't know if that was successful or not because he's still having a string of bad luck right now. He's not having the best time. Um, but yeah, if, if you haven't seen any pictures of this, um, definitely have a look. It is really weird, especially when you see the contents of the box. Like the etching that says Shalom, it's like on like a bit of stone and it just, everything that's in the box, all of it together, it looks uncomfortable. Ooh. You know, it lo- it just... It just sounds no. creepy. Yeah, so that's the dibbuk box so interesting and so creepy mm-hmm. i know i know more i looked into it especially like when it has like the religious spin on yeah. it yeah oh it just makes and it's interesting hearing a religious spin that's not in a kind of catholic christian sort of thing i completely agree it's interesting yeah. seeing a different religion's point of view on negative energies yeah exactly yeah it's not like a demon thing it's just like a a malicious spirit was from a person oh creepy super interesting yeah i know i know okay well (laughs) my next one isn't so ghostly creepy but i still think it's very interested interested interesting Mm -hmm. so this is the story of the bulgarian cursed phone number so we're a little bit up to date on this one like (laughs) love it so i'm gonna start by saying the phone number is 0888 888 Oh my god. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> and um, this phone number has now been suspended forever. Ooh. So you can no longer call it. If you do call it, you just get a tone that says this phone is um, outside of your coverage and you won't be able to contact it. So, yes, it has now been suspended. Wow. Okay. So, The reason this phone has been suspended is because whoever owned this phone number um, ended up dying in sort of tragic and unforeseen circumstances. Okay. So the first person who owned this phone was said to be the CEO of Mobitel, which was the company that actually issued the phone number. However, I do want to say I saw in a couple of different sources that he wasn't actually the ceo but he was like a high board member but either way he was someone significant within this company right so in 2001 vladimir grashnov oh god we've just chosen like interesting names yeah we have (laughs) so vladimir died in 2001 of cancer and as normal as this may seem it actually was rumored that this cancer had been caused by a business rival who had used radioactive poisoning on him oh my so God. not just a normal kind of run-of-the-mill death chemical yeah. warfare so then the phone number got passed on to Konstantin dimitrov 
And nice. Dimitrov was a rumoured to be a mafia member, so of the Bulgarian <laughs> mafia. And it was said that right. he was killed in 2003, so two years after the first owner had died. And he was mm-hmm. killed by an assassin in the oh Netherlands. And this was when he oh had gone God. to the Netherlands to inspect his 500 million drug empire. <laughs> all of this is kind of like rumored. I don't know if there's enough proof to 100% say this is all true, but like, interesting. Yeah. Wow. Um, and it's yeah. also said that he had the phone on him when he died. Oh. Which, you know, adds to the bad juju. Mm-hmm. And then the third person who had this phone number passed on to them after that person died was a businessman called Konstantin Dishliev. Nice. <laughs> We're getting these names. And Dishliev was killed in 2005 in Bulgaria's capital city, Sofia. And he mm-hmm. was actually shot outside a restaurant. So, oh, yeah, oh he God. was also <sighs> murdered. Um, and oh it was suspected that, well, it was rumoured that he was actually running a cocaine trafficking operation. And this is because his future, not his future, his, um, I think it was his wife or ex-wife or something, but like members of his family mm. and other things later down the line actually did get arrested for crimes similar to this. So it's oh. rumoured that that is okay. an influence that might have got him killed. Oh my god. So after this third death, the phone company spotted this pattern and decided to mm-hmm. suspend the phone number because too many weird and traumatic events were occurring to the owners of the phone number. Oh and wow. that is the story of the cursed phone number. Oh my it, that's god. It. It's left at that. They suspended the phone yeah. number. And that's where we're at with it. That is so creepy though. That it's is oh my modern. god! Like, there's something about yeah. that that feels very strange and different because it's not like an old haunted object. Like, yeah, it gives me more like black yeah. mirror vibes. And so it yeah. said that the number eight, like, was looked into to see whether it was like in any relig- in any religions or cultures a like demonic number or anything like that. You know, like six 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 yeah. or thirteen or four. Like, all yeah. of those numbers in different cultures are quite are often, like, left off hotels and stuff like that. But the number yeah. eight, besides some Asian cultures, I believe, actually isn't a significant number at all. It's not associated. And yeah. I think it's the number eight, actually, in Asian cultures, is a good luck number. I was, I was going to say, in my mind, I, I seem to associate yeah. that with Yeah, so luck. there is no negative connotations with this number. Weird. So, yeah. Maybe it's like... One eight is lucky, two eights is not lucky, three eights is lucky, four eights is not lucky. (laughs) Wow. That that is weird. Very weird. (laughs) That is super weird. Super weird. Wow. Okay. Um, Onwards. (laughs) I'm going to... Onwards and upwards. Um, well, not upwards. Continue it. Down the spiral. going down. Yeah. (laughs) This next one uh, is the chair of death. So, yeah, um, this chair is also known as Busby's oh, Stoop yeah. Chair. Yep, see, how do you know? I that? like these from cursed objects. Um, <laughs> yep. Um, so this chair once belonged to Thomas Busby, who was, a con- who, who was a convicted murderer. And in 1702, he was convicted for the murder of his father-in-law, 
Daniel Orty, A-U-T-Y, yeah. Orty, um, whom he supposedly strangled for sitting in his favourite chair <laughs> after an argument about his oh, wife. Yeah. So following his trial, he was sentenced to be hanged, but before he was actually hanged, his final request was to have a meal in his favourite local pub with his chair. He wanted to sit in his chair and, you know... <laughs> You've killed someone in it, you might as well have your last meal in it. Might as well have your last meal in there. So he did that. And then when he finished his meal, he stood up and in front of everyone in the pub said, may sudden death come to anyone who dare sit on my chair. <laughs> I love a little curse. Imagine, imagine just being like, I would be that petty as well. Oh my I would. God, yeah. <laughs> um, so then after he was put to death, the chair stayed in the pub literally for centuries. Um, and people were like dared to sit in it. It was like a whole local myth like little, you know like you go somewhere they're like oh there's this yeah. thing so you can walk around this stone three times or whatever um but then supposedly um 63 people who sat in their chair met their <laughs> untimely deaths 63 yeah and some of them it was like moments after sitting in it um i've got some examples so during world war ii airmen from a nearby base made the pub mm-hmm. like a hot spot um, and the chair became like a hot seat and people basically noticed that anyone who would sit in that chair would not come back. Oh my all. God. Oh, that's dark. Um, and there are loads. Yeah. There's loads and loads of examples of, um, people that sat in the chair and then didn't come back. They were deployed and didn't come back. Um, and specifically in 1967, two, um, RAF pilots sat in it. Um, and while they were driving back, they crashed into a tree Aww. and died. Yeah. Um, a few years later, two bricklayers decided to try it. And that afternoon, um, the one who sat in it fell oh to his God. death. Yeah. Um, another example is a roofer who sat in it that later died when he was working because the roof he was working on collapsed. Um, and also, this one, I just think it's petty <laughs> of the ghost, honestly. Mm-hmm. A cleaning woman who just stumbled <laughs> into it while she was mopping. You think you'd like killed. let that one go? She, I know. I was like, come on, that's a bit petty. She's literally cleaning the area around your chair. Um, Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So when the number of deaths became too coincidental, which I think, you know, 63 is a bit hard to come to that conclusion. um, Basically, the pub owner moved the chair to the basement so no one could sit in it. Um, However, one day a delivery man came in (laughs) and he sat in it. An hour later, crashed truck and died. Um, yeah, so after that death, the landlord asked the local museum, which is the Thirsk Museum, uh, to take it. And this was in 1972. The chair is still there today, but they've hung it five feet off the ground to prevent anyone sitting in it. So it's there, it's been there the whole time, but there's no way anyone can literally sit in it. They've, like, they wouldn't even put it on the floor. Because you will always have someone who thinks to tempt fate. Exactly, yeah. So they've literally put it five feet up on the wall. I love that. Yeah, but it's still there. If you look up the picture as well, so the actual chair is like a, it's a dark wood. It's maybe like, maybe oh, a mahogany. I like this. We're going into like that kind of colour. Wood context. <laughs> We're going into it. Why not? Um, it kind of like, it's just like a very simple, like four-legged chair, like a long back. And it's all like, it's just, it's quite nice, honestly. <laughs> it's got like loads of nice wood carvings. But, oh, it's also got that thing, you know, like on a chair when it has like, it's, at the front of it, it has like oh, the yeah. butt dips. Yeah, it kind of like it's is got carved like that, which is it's got butt dips. Um, 
Yeah, hanging on the wall. That's yeah. Freaky. That's the haunted chair. chair I just feel like I wonder when it was in the pub whether it was like advertised as this haunted chair or whether it was just like a chair. Like, yeah. Can you imagine if you just like sat down with your drink and boom, like you were cursed? I wonder whether yeah. they were careful about it I or f- not. I feel like they probably would have said like, "Oh, this is the cursed chair," mainly because it would have yeah, brought true. in a you lot could embrace of that, couldn't you? at first. Exactly, yeah. And then it's really like, yeah. then that's on your conscience, and you're like, so... oh, just probably get rid of this now. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Oh my god! So <laughs> on my document mm-hmm. where I have all of this information, I've got. I'm going to talk about a painting next, and I've got a picture of the painting, and it just oh my keeps god. staring at me. It's like giving you like comfortable, so I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like scrolling <laughs> up away from it. <laughs> oh, God, Hannah, so I'm me. going to distract you with the tragic story of Anna Baker's wedding dress. Oh. <laughs> so, in 1849, Anna Baker fell in love with a co worker. So just start on that happy oh. note because it's all downward. We've all from been here. there. <laughs> Oh, that's so sad. Anna Baker's father, Ellis Baker, actually refused to give his consent for the couple to marry. Um, oh. And so Ellis was very rich. He had made his fortune as an iron maker and had a lot of mm-hmm. influence in the town they lived in, which was Altoona, Pennsylvania. Who knows if that was pronounced okay. right? And he used this influence to actually have the man that his daughter had fallen in love with banished from the town. So Anna was incredibly upset, as you can imagine. And she actually never married. And she continued to remain angry with her father until her death in 1914. And she actually also never moved out of the family home. She continued to stay there her entire life probably just as a really? like screw you now you can't get rid of me kind of situation which oh I like. yeah i love it i love the pettiness so, yeah the kind of ghosty tragic story of the, the item i'm going to talk about comes from the fact that anna had already bought her wedding dress for this wedding that was Aww. never going to happen and so, so her wedding dress was actually brought by a lady called elizabeth dystart and I don't know whether, mm-hmm. like, there's no context around why this dress was sold, whether this was, like, Anna's father selling it or, or what happened. Because I can't imagine this mm-hmm. was Anna selling this wedding dress. No, so no, when this dress so. was sold to Elizabeth, she actually was gloating that Anna would never get to wear this dress and, you know, making, yeah, being just oh generally God. very cruel about the whole situation. <laughs> Yeah, so like, mean. Just make it worse. You know, you've just taken this girl's wedding dress, rub it in. Oh my god, I mean, that is horrible. So I after people. I couldn't tell you how long because I forgot to write down the night, like the date. But this wedding dress was mm. eventually donated to the Blair County Historical Society, and it was then mm. later donated to the Baker's Museum, which was the museum, I presume, around this um, iron makers industry kind of thing. So this was actually in yeah. Anna's family home, this new museum. Mm-hmm. And so they kept Anna's wedding dress in her bedroom within a glass case. So this dress right. is said to move on its own, especially during Ooh. a full moon. 
And the way the dress <gasps> oh. moves, it was described as it moves as if a bride is wearing it and kind of like swaying in it in front of a mirror, you know, like checking out their wedding dress. Oh, that yeah. gives me like chills and makes me upset. Me, I was demonstrating my swaying as we're doing this. <laughs> I can so imagine um, that. <laughs> so it moves in a very eerie kind of creepy way. And um, mm. there have been investigations around this to see if there is like a draft, which is causing the dress to move. But there is like no naturally occurring reason. Well, yeah, so there's no case. occurring reason yeah. for this. So the dress is also said to cause Mad. hallucinations of a young woman dancing around the museum. So whether, like, mm. in my mind, whether this is hallucinations or whether this is actually, like, seeing an apparition could go either ways. But there's said to be mm. a woman who moves around the museum. And there have been occasions that the staff of the museum have actually seen the dress not just swaying, but actually violently shaking to the point that they were very <gasps> concerned that the glass that it was kept in would shatter and it would actually damage the dress. Oh, my God. Yeah, so it is crazy. Like, I think they've actually had to change how they store it now just in order to protect it from sunlight, you know, natural decay, things like that. But yeah, it is, yeah that is the story of the dress. Oh my god! I cannot believe that woman. I know this whole thing is like tragic, but then you just get hurt. Like, (laughs) you're never wearing this. Who does that? It's horrible, isn't it? Who does that? Like, that is awful. If you if you got that dress and you knew the story behind it, you'd be like, I'm going to have a wonderful day, and I'm going to respect, you know, this spirit, and I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm going to wear it for her. She like what? Yeah, I think this was thought she was like still alive and everything, like actively gloating to her face no i would oh my god i don't even know what i would do how would you even react to that like horrible haunting definitely seems like an applicable situation (laughs) i agree do you know what i agree i would haunt that bitch (laughs) oh (laughs) Oh my god i just it's brutal isn't it it's so brutal. Like, why is that support even... Support other women. From this that? is what we can like, take away from this. Support other women. I know. Just just support. Just don't <laughs> be that bitch, basically. This is, the bar is now yep. incredibly low. Yeah. Just don't be that bitch. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to move yes. into a crying boy then. Um, so this is the crying boy painting. Um, I have a picture of this, and there's like... It's like a very angelic little boy with like blonde hair, big blue eyes, tears Aww. just streaming down. And I have, it's sweet, but I've been looking at it for a while <laughs> and now I'm to not look at it because oh it looks God. kind of demonic. Um, so the Crying Boy painting was produced by an artist named Bruno Amadio under the name Giovanni Brogolin in 1950s. Um, so he was, I believe, an Italian painter um, <laughs> i've read that somewhere i could be wrong i could be wrong but this was in the 1950s and it quickly became like super famous um and over the years it like especially in britain it was like basically mass produced and it was hung in so many homes like it's like basically every single freaking home oh my had God, crazy the crying boy in it um 
and it is like it's a really really gorgeous painting i believe actually um there's a series of paintings of the crying boy um different different crying boys or or maybe the same boy just (laughs) crying differently i don't know who knows um but i do believe it was a series of paintings but this specific one um like i said was mass produced so many homes in britain had it um and then um, on the 4th of September in 1985, um, The Sun published a story about a couple, mm-hmm. Ron and May Hall, whose house had oh, completely man. burned to the ground, like completely burnt down um, due to a fire which started in a chip <laughs> as you pan. Um, yep, as you do. Um, eerily enough, though, <laughs> the painting of the crying boy oh, was no, completely I hate that. untouched. <laughs> Yep, everything around it was completely charred. The walls, oh, or the, the floor, all the furniture, every single thing. The house was falling apart. Can you imagine walking in into that site and just seeing it? Like, oh, I know. No. Yeah, exactly. So the couple blamed the fire on the painting. Um, and the fire station officer, Alan Wilkinson, like basically this all came out and he said he knew of numerous cases where the painting was the only thing in the house to survive a fire so a bunch of fires had happened and this was the only thing um and basically so in, in the newspaper there was a photo with the story of the crying boy um and the caption just read Tears for fears, the portrait is that a wise idea to cursed. send the cursed picture out into like hundreds of households probably not um but it after that it became like so widely reported that homes started to just like catch fire and burn to the ground um and in most of them this painting was found once again completely untouched yeah so it happened like in so many cases some people obviously was saw it and were like that's pure coincidence but the undamaged paintings can't be explained like yeah, you cannot explain that. And considering it was just, like, mass-produced, I, when I was thinking about it, I was like, was it coated in something? Like, what was it? But then I was like, if a fire is that hot yeah. to destroy your entire house, burn the entire thing down to a ground, I'm sorry, but no yeah. painting is going to survive. Otherwise, every yeah, single thing say, we own is going to that coating. I'll put shit. all my journals like, in it. I know. Because <laughs> of course you would. <laughs> I love that that's your concern. Um, so... Like I said, this happened like pretty much all over Britain, um, and basically in hang on one second, <laughs> police officer <laughs> Pengelly is here, um, and he's very happy about the fact that we're doing cursed <laughs> objects. This was his idea. Um, so basically, oh, so all of these buildings had like burnt down. This random painting was still there. Um, so what did all the Brits do? Of they course. just ripped it off their walls. Um, and there oh was a God. mass bonfire and they destroyed loads and like, loads of the paintings. Yeah. Which, which to my point earlier, is like yeah. clearly these paintings do burn because they it's were burned like, in a bonfire. Of course that's the like solution we have for this. <laughs> I know, I know. Like, oh, this thing is burning stuff down. We do like bonfire. bonfires. <laughs> we always have bonfires. We have bonfires for everything. Bonfire yeah. night. Well, I guess that makes sense. Cause, yeah. Anyway that's it and like I said the more I look at this painting the more yes. it creeps me out the other thing about this painting this that right baffles me is me like I don't know about you but I really don't think I'd want a painting of a boy crying in my like house yeah I mean 
like it's a very angelic picture in a way. It's just but like it's it is not a boy the top crying. Of my list. I mean, we do like to embrace the sadness, hell, don't we? But we do. But that, like, it's literally like it looks like someone ripped this child from like his home or something. Like, like why would you want that in your house? <laughs> Very weird. Brits are weird. I mean, that being said, like on my wall currently, so there's a picture of an orange. So, like, maybe I'm not the of course the prime example of interior design. But still, I mean, on my wall, I have a ice cold Nuka Cola sign from a game. So, okay. I don't think maybe I'm like much for interior design as well. We're the ones with the dodgy stuff. Maybe, maybe it's like a very We're not classy. thing. We just don't have taste. I think we can establish that. No. <laughs> that's true. We established that a very long time ago. Oh, but that's the crying boy. Okay. Well, my last yeah. story is the Burton Agnes screaming skull, and that's really hard to say. I'm like sorry. say that fast. But yes, Burton Agnes screaming skull. Burton Agnes screaming skull. Burton Agnes screaming. No, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> No, it doesn't work. <laughs> the story around this skull is very interesting. So this right. is the story of Catherine Griffin. And so Catherine Griffin was the daughter of, oh, I've lost his name, Sir Henry Griffin. And he built this okay. lavish big hall, like a stately home, um, called Burton Agnes Hall. And so his daughter, Catherine Griffin, was incredibly excited about this building that was being made. She would not stop talking about it. She was very excited. And so she travelled one day to actually go and see the hall. And so the story goes that on her journey to get to the hall and visit the house, she was actually attacked and robbed en route. And so this was in 1620. So she was kind of like highway robbed sort of situation. And so when this happened mm-hmm. and they found her body, she was still alive and she was brought to the hall. Um, but she actually ended up dying a few days later, which is really tragic. Like she's the youngest of this man's daughters. Yeah. Like she was quite young. Like it's, yeah, it's sad. Aww. And so as she was dying within the sad. hall, the place that she loved and was so passionate about, she told her sisters in her semi-delirious state and also, it was said that she was semi-delirious, but she was also very serious about this. And she said to her sisters okay. that she would not re- she would not rest unless part of her remained in the house. Like, creepy. Ooh. So she made her sisters promise yeah. that her head would be preserved in the hall forever. Her head, like you do. Her head? The thing to say. No. Yeah. Oh, so I see this she is going. I don't like did it. <laughs> eventually end up passing away. And when she did die, her families mm-hmm. buried her in the churchyard. You know, like they just buried her in the churchyard. Okay. They wanted a proper burial. Understandable. However, mm-hmm. then Catherine's yeah. ghost started to haunt the hall. So they would see a ghost walking no. around, like things would, mis- creepy, mysterious things would occur. And so after being haunted by this, and obviously like this being a really tragic experience in itself, the sisters remembered the promise that they had Mm -hmm. made to their sister and they opened up her grave 
and they actually brought the scroll into the house and placed it in the um in the like I think it's in the grand hall or something like that like in the center of the house so her her skull was there on display are you joking and the house remained peaceful oh my god so the haunting stopped she was Mad. content she was where she wanted to be however as this owners of this house has gone on there have obviously been several attempts to remove mm. this skull because realistically you don't particularly want that yeah. in your dining room yeah who walks in and is like oh this is a skull from two from like two yeah. families who lived here before me um this is, this like, is so old skull, i don't like, know who this right. is <laughs> so there were several attempts and one oh example was the skull was removed and it was actually buried in the garden and the intense hauntings yeah. returned so the scroll was brought back up and oh, wow. put back in its rightful place and the house was peaceful again so yeah so wow the skull remains to this day as far as i know like that is uncomfortable and strange yeah, but like, also i'm glad content. it's peaceful like, it's, <laughs> it's quite content isn't it like she got her wish. Yeah. And she no, remains calm it. as long as she's part of this house that she adored. Like, it's quite nice. Yeah, I know. It's nice. Know imagine moving called, like, into that house. Skull either. Like, and you're like... I don't particularly know why that's oh, the yeah. title there. But, yeah. yeah. That is the story of Catherine Griffin. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Mad. <laughs> I think it's quite I nice, really, isn't it? Like, like it's that. a nice little ending. Like, like yes, she died, but she got to be where she wanted yeah. to be, and her spirit remains peaceful as long as she's there. Mm. So, you know, it's quite nice. Yeah. Oh, it is. I feel successful. What a nice way to end. <laughs> I like it. Thank you for that. Yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> well. That is it for all of our yeah. We got loads of objects. I think you should do another one of these. Like that's six official haunted objects Mm, and one slightly additional haunted object. Yeah, Yeah. I found loads as well. We should definitely do another one. Yeah, (laughs) that's it for today. We hope that you will listen again soon. Oh, and yeah. also we do have an <laughs> email address. So if you want to send us any recommendations, things you want to hear, the email address is witchyweirdos1 mm-hmm. at gmail.com. Also, yeah, you could just, be, just like, say really hi and like, nothing else on one Yeah, you'll make our day. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Okay, well. <laughs>